Praise God, you guys. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, I look forward, you know, of course I'd love to stay overnight with the guys and leave Sunday and come back and everything, but it doesn't always work that way. And at the same time, I, I love to be with my brothers and sisters on Sunday mornings, you know. So uh, I'm glad I actually got the you know, best of both worlds. I got to be at a men's retreat and I get to be with you guys on Sunday morning. So that's great. Uh, I had a to- totally different message prepared for you than I'm going to preach today. And that message was sitting on my desk because I got it done before I left on the men's retreat. So I'd have a message ready for my brothers and sisters here, which I knew would be mostly sisters, also with some faithful brothers. And it was called A God Who Sees, or The God Who Sees, uh, uh, Yahweh, uh, Jehovah Elroy, you know. And I was excited about that message. But uh, when I got the results of preaching the message I preached last night, because I preached the last message usually Saturday night at the men's retreat, and the response... And I'd already been wondering if I should be preaching this message Sunday morning, which I was preaching last night prior to it, because I thought, man, this relates so much to everybody. And so I was kind of torn, you know, already. But after the, uh, I saw so many guys I'd gotten ministered to, I thought, you know what, I continue to pray about it. And I just, well, I have it today. <laughs> this is the message everybody needs to hear. And uh, when I told James, we were driving together, he heads up the Texas group there in uh, Bel Verde, next to San Antonio, Texas, and James, we welcome you, um, you know, uh, to our service, and it's good to see Tom and his lovely wife and all you guys, everybody, and we just uh, welcome everybody here, but uh, when I told James what I was going to do, he was like, oh, praise God, that's a classic, that message is a blessed hope classic, it's going to the archives, you got to preach that message, you know, uh, but are you? Maybe you might leave out this part, you know. <laughs> uh, it was more of a, a guy part, you know, personal with the guys, I guess. I said, yeah, I'm probably going to leave that. I had to cut a lot out because it was a long message. It was like over probably two hours. So don't worry. I'm going to fight to get done on time, you know. Uh, my, t- my time is, for me, on time is if I get, if that minute, the very minute where it ends, I try not to go five minutes over. If I, if I go five minutes over, I'm not on time. But that's Joe Schimmel, Blessed Hope time. So... Uh, <laughs> I got five minutes of grace, and I use up every minute of grace I can get sometimes, but uh, we, we, we used to meet for two hours, so we meet a lot shorter than, and, and I used to go 15 minutes over. So our services for years, for probably plus 20 plus years, was like over two hours, and sometimes usually two hours and 15 minutes. So now you got like a half hour off, but you still get a good feeding, amen? So uh, praise God. So you guys, the name of this message is, are you a Barnabas or are you a Diabolus? Are you a Barnabas or are you a Diabolus? Okay? And we need to let this penetrate our hearts because when you hear this message, God's going to put you on the spot and say, who, who do you choose to be? You know? Who do you choose to be? And it's interesting because uh, the question should be penetrated. And I want you to go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 to begin. And look at Jesus' words because did you know you and I and each and every person here will stand before God? and give an account on Judgment Day for our words? Do you know that? And not just our words, but every word we've said. We brought up on the Day of Judgment. This is so serious, because words are very powerful, and they could build people up, but they could also tear people down. And look what Jesus said to the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Uh, he says to them, either make the tree good, and this is after they are saying, that he has a demon, and you do these. You must be doing these. They couldn't deny the miracles. People being risen from the dead, you know, blind that are walking around seeing, and it just everybody's just tripping out, and there's and they're like, but we, we they didn't want to follow him, you know. They had a racket going on, 
And they said, oh, that's because he's possessed by the devil. The devil must be doing these things. And uh, well, he says, either make the tree good, verse 33, and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, you being evil, speak what is good? They needed to have heart change. For the mouth, now it's important, the mouth speaks out that which is in the what? Heart. Amen? Yeah. As the King James says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of your mouth reveals where your heart is really at. And he says, verse 35, the good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Verse 36, but I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. Let me read that again. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they will, shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be either justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So this is serious. We're going to stand before God, and God's going to, in all the words that we've spoken, are going to go before us, and we'll be judged for every word. Now, our words will either reveal we're saved or lost, Right? To be saved, you must confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. To be a true Christian, your life must be congruent with your confession. Titus chapter 1, verse 16 says, They profess to know him, but by their works they deny him. And by the way, on this message is going to be quite a bit different than last night's message because it has to be shorter, but I want to tailor it for the Sunday morning group as well. So I'm going to be using certain things that I used then and not using several things I talked about in that message. Uh, but it's important for us to understand that every idle word will be brought into judgment. And by our words, we'll be either justified or we'll be condemned. Now, it's important to understand that Jesus doesn't even have to look at what you've said. You know that. And he doesn't even have to look into your heart because your words reveal your heart. He just has to look at your mouth. And what's coming out of your mouth? What kind of language do you use? How do you talk to, about other people? Well, this is important stuff, guys. You know, uh, because he just looks at our tongue. The Bible says the tongue is a world of iniquity. And no man can tame it. The only way it can be tamed is under the power of the Holy Spirit. And by submitting to the Lord God and having him change our hearts. Amen. And this message is not to condemn you, but this message is to lovingly warn you and encourage you. If you're walking, you're using your tongue to, to, to praise God and you're worshiping him, you're building up your brothers and sisters in Christ, be encouraged. If you're using it for destructive reasons, be warned. Because the scriptures are really clear. Now, since I was a little kid, you know, the doctor would say, stick out your tongue, right? What's the first thing you, when he sits you up there on the table or whatever? He would say, stick out your tongue. Go, ah. I don't do that. I have a tongue. It's like four feet long. That's a big one, so I won't do that right here. Well, not really, but I won't, it'll be gross, so I won't do that. But he'll say, stick out your tongue, you know? And you'll stick out your tongue, and then he'll press a little apparatus on your tongue to, tell, to see if he can see what's going on with you from your tongue. And I thought that fell by the wayside. And I remember studying this some time ago. They probably don't, I remember my doctor looking at my tongue for a while. Then I found out that the technology has so advanced that they could tell all kinds of things from your tongue now. 
So now they take a digital analysis of your tongue and they can analyze it digitally to find out all kinds of things that are wrong with it. And I was reading a study about a machine, a diagnostic machine, a new one, by the International Journal of Biomedical Engineering and Technology. And I'm just going to quote a small part of it because it was fascinating. And the tongue shows from these digital imprints on the smooth part of your tongue and different parts of your tongue. Uh, if you have smoothness and beefiness, it might reveal vitamin B K or B12, iron, or folate deficiency. If, or, or you might have anemia. Black discoloration could be indicative of fungal growth. Gross. HIV, in, I've HIV patients or prolonged an, an, antibiotic use. Lo, uh, longitudinal furrows in the tongue are associated with syphilis. Ulcers may indicate uh, the presence of Crohn's disease or colitis and various other conditions. And it just goes on and on. It talks about all these arrays of diseases that are shown up in the tongue. And the physician could look at the tongue and do an analysis and find out, ooh, you have some serious physical problems. But the great physician, the physician of our soul, you guys, he can look at our tongue spiritually and tell us we have a heart problem. We have serious heart disease, that our hearts had never been changed, that we don't have love in our hearts for, for others, our brothers and sisters, that uh, or our hearts were changed, but they become cold and that we've grown cold in our love for the Lord, you know, because we're talking about everything but Jesus. And instead of being people of the word, we're people of the world. So he looks at our tongues. What's coming out of our mouths, you know? So this is very, very important. Uh, and I want to, since you're in Matthew, go to chapter 15, verse 18. Matthew 15, verse 18. Here Jesus is dealing with the, some religious leaders who are really upset because his disciples are not following their traditions of washing their hands when they pick grain. Now, if you hike, and we had a lot of hiking and stuff with the men's retreat we just kind of came back from, or the few of us that are already back, and, man, you pick some, you know, you ever see beer, bears pick berries and eat them? They don't, like, wash their hands. They just pick the berries, eat them, you know? And the disciples were picking some grain, and the, the Pharisees, they're not going through the rituals. There were these elaborate rituals for washing hands, too. And then Jesus rebuked them, and in verse 18, he says, Is it, It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. But what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. But the things coming forth from the mouth, from the heart, uh, do come forth. And these defile the man. For out of the heart comes forth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, whoredoms, thefts, false witnessing. Okay? And it goes on to say evil speaking and so forth. So all these different things come out of the heart. Blasphemies. And, and they defile the person. They come out of the heart and out of the mouth. So you can be defiled by what's coming out of your mouth. We're going to all struggle. We're all going to go through things. We're all going to be stabbed in the back. We're going to feel like someone hurt our feelings. But are you going to pray for them and love them? Or are you going to have angst and let the enemy get a foothold? Because the enemy is very, very active with our tongues. We ought not, it ought not be that way. And you can be, hey, man, I'm, I'm spiritual, man. I love Jesus. And all of a sudden, the devil could be speaking through you. How do we know that? The Apostle Peter. Jesus is going to go to the cross. And he contradicts Jesus and says, it may, ne may it never be. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Woo, man. Get behind me, adversary. Wow. So it's interesting. You have to, a lot of people pride themselves on just being unfiltered. Woo, unfiltered people are in huge trouble with the Lord. You know? Before I was a Christian, when I would be with my friends hanging out in the world, 
man, I got a pretty quick wit and could turn something into a dirty joke just like my friends. We all just cut up all the time and would just be stoned on pot or drunk and loose lips, sinking ships, saying horrible things. And it became this kind of like just whatever came, you, you know, use your imagination. Oh, wow, that's really, oh, that's hilarious. You're laughing. And we were just it was filthy before I was a Christian. You know, not that we did that all the time, but when we got stoned and drunk, we're sitting at the park, you know, one of the parks here in town, you know, I would even stick my finger in the air and blaspheme God. Stuff that just kills my heart right now. I couldn't believe it because I didn't believe he existed. I thought it was a joke. The stuff that comes out of our mouths. When I came to Christ, man, and I got on my knees and turned to Jesus and surrendered my life to him, that's when I thought, man, I quit everything I could even think of quitting. Never smoke pot again, you know, not going to get drunk, uh, you, know, gonna, uh, you know, all those things I was doing just changed. You can ask my family. I just changed a total one, 180. And then one by one, my family members, all seven of us ended up getting saved and my closest friends and stuff. But you know what I found? I'm not, I'm not saying praise. I'm not, I'm not saying, wow, man, I was perfect. I'm saying the opposite. But you know what? That unruly member, that tongue. Sometimes I'd say something that was just about at the line or over. You know, and I'd be, ah, oh, man, man, I shouldn't have said that. Or I'd be trying to witness to my family members, and sometimes they would escalate, and they're not, they don't have the Holy Spirit, and they'd get loud, and I'd be trying to share the gospel with them. Then my, I would get loud. My tone would get kind of loud, too, you know? And then I'd be, like, convicted. Okay, I can't argue like they argue. And I'd go in the room, my room, and I'd get on my knees, and I'd say, Lord, because I knew the Scripture says no man can bridle the tongue, but I know the Scripture says the Holy Spirit can bridle the tongue. So I'd say, Lord, give me a new tongue. You know, my, my speech and everything had changed dramatically, but there were still problems. You see, sometimes I'll, if you, if you, uh, stick, you can stick out, your, stick out your tongue. You don't have to. But if you want to stick out your tongue, you can then grab it and then try to hold it and then try to pull your tongue in. It's hard to hold your tongue. Wait, I got to wash my hands. Well, didn't you just see what I read from Jesus? You don't necessarily have to. But it might be wise in certain cases, right? Depending if you just change the baby or something or, you know. But uh, I'll tell you what, man. And also, it's like God's put like a, a fence around our tongues, man. Close your mouth. You got a bunch of teeth there, man. Tongue can't get out. It's like a prison, you know? And I don't think that's purposeful, but it's just kind of funny how that is. It's slippery, and there's like, God's, God wants us to protect our tongues. He wants to protect our speech, what we say, okay? Tongue's nasty, man. can carry all kinds of diseases, infections. They say the human tongue can carry way more diseases than a dog's tongue. And that trips me out because dogs are pretty dirty. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. I don't know how true that is, but... The human tongue can be very dirty, but it's dirty spiritually. And guys, you know what? We need to make sure we truly get a hold of it. We can only really ultimately do that in the Lord. But the enemy loves to use the tongue. He puts thoughts in our hearts, thoughts in our minds. And we can't just say what comes to mind, especially if we're operating in the flesh. If we're letting the flesh act out, we're not walking in the Spirit. So the key is walk in the Spirit, as Paul says. He won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Amen? The devil, one time, who has got the most acidic tongue in the universe, he was selling, or I should say renting a bunch of his tools out, his biggest, most powerful tools to all the demons. And there were all kinds of tools that were very effective in damning people. And he had all these tools, and a lot of them were marked up for a high price of rent, you know. He had drugs like fentanyl and, you know, methamphetamines and heroin, all these different drugs, 
you know, marijuana was this much. And, and then there was pride and there was envy and there was strife and there was, uh, you know, uh, adultery and homosexuality and pedophilia and all this stuff, all these different tools. And, but there was one that was just so highly priced, set apart from all the others. And this, one of the demons said, why is that so expensive? And why is it set apart? Oh, that's my most treasured deception. He's like, Why? He goes, because that particular deception, a lot of, I can get a lot of non-believers that don't know Christ with a lot of these other tools. But that tool, I can get non-believers so often and so often professing Christians. He goes, what is it? He goes, it's discouragement. He goes, I can get people discouraged by gossiping and, and murmuring and, and just discourage them. He goes, why is that so effective? He goes, because... Christians don't fall into drunkenness typically because if they're true Christians, they're not going to get drunk and all and on and on. He goes, but guess what? Christians can become discouraged like anybody else. And once I get them discouraged, I could use discouragement as a pry to pry open their hearts and then pour these other sins in because then they can get drunk because they're discouraged or they can open themselves up to this adultery or bitterness. And that's why this is so effective. And so discouragement is an incredibly powerful tool. And the good news about this message is we want to be Barnabases. Amen? Amen. Barnabas was an encourager and not Diabolus's. We want to be, and by the way, that's, you're like, wow, where is that in the Bible? That, 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 that the devil's tools, I want to check that. that it's a made-up story, okay? But that's how he works, though. He uses discouragement. And if it's not his most powerful tool, it's definitely one of his most powerful tools. He'll seek to discourage you. But what he'll do is he'll seek to use people at times to discourage you. Or he'll seek to use you to discourage other people in their walks with Jesus. So it's very, very important that, you know, I look at the tongue when it's misused as a, as a WMD, you know, a weapon of mass destruction. And that's what it is. It's a weapon of mass destructions. Many, uh, if you're not a strong church, you won't be able to weather the storm of Satan's assaults through the tongue. Okay? Because the Bible talks about things come to ruin through the tongue. Amen? So if you're built on the rock, gossips can arise and people could try to hurt other people and, and the church will still stand. But if a church is weak, man, there's so many. The Bible says that the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity set on fire from hell. That shows you that there's principalities and powers. Satan will cause us to misuse our tongues. If we're not careful, believers can be seduced. So it's imperative that we recognize that we, if, if, if Peter could also be telling Jesus, you're not going to the cross, and it seems like a noble thing, but if Jesus didn't go to the cross, we're not saved today. We're not meeting today, amen? You have to even watch what you're saying and make sure that it's words that line up with God's word and that are edifying but it's interesting, it's a weapon of mass destruction because many scriptures talk about the tongue as being a powerful force of evil. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Yeah. That's powerful. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So if you love speaking evil and that's what you're about, you'll eat its fruit and you'll reap the whirlwind of evil in your own life. If you speak words of encouragement, you try to build up your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? You pray for them. You use your tongue to love on people. Man, you'll be so blessed and so edified. But it's a powerful weapon for good or for evil. 
So I want to be, and I hope you want to be a Barnabas. Amen? Build people up, because that's what he did. And not a diabolist. Proverbs 10, 14 says, The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. The mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Guard your mouth. Don't let evil things come out of it. They preserve their lives. But he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Wow. Wow. Listen to how many scriptures, and I'm just giving you a little bit of them, deal with it as a huge weapon of evil. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 18 says, A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. There's a proverb that talks about a man who says something to his neighbor and, you know, and says something mean, but then says, I was just joking, is really hurling all kinds of evil things at him, fire and brimstone and destruction. So a guy says to another guy, and see, because a lot of times, you know, the Bible says out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And sometimes the best jokes are jokes have a little bit of truth in them. But if they're bad jokes, if they're jokes to put people down, right? If they're jokes to hurt people, like, you know, you're so skinny, the wind can blow you off a cliff. Oh, just kidding. Oh, that makes a gal who's dealing with thinking, feeling she's too thin. Or, you know, when, you, when she sits around the house, she really sits around the house, you know? Don't, don't you? Oh, I'm just kidding. Girl's trying to lose weight or she's struggling with her weight. And you just destroyed her, you know? She didn't see, but then what happens is they say, oh, I'm just kidding. Just joking. You ever, see, you ever hear that? Somebody says, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. If they say something mean, maybe you've done it, right? We probably all have it sometime in our Christian walks, right? Or at least before we were believers. That is dangerous stuff. Because the Bible says that the evil person does that. Now, the Bible doesn't say you can't joke and play, but it says we're not supposed to have any coarse joking. Amen? Amen. Any dirty joking. And so many of the men came up to me afterwards, and I only had a little bit of time. I had to go. I'm like, man, I'm not going to get out of here with James because i got to get home and get down the mountain, you know? And it was a long drive. I think it was a four-and-a-half-hour drive or what have you. And, uh, and we got done, I think, at almost 11, you know, 10.45 or so. And we, fought, we got out of there. But uh, so many men were in a good, convicted in a good way, you know? And blessed, but this is to help us, to bless us. So if you're like, man, this message is right for me. He, I, did Jojo, I mean, somebody said, I think it was, <laughs> one brother said, two different brothers said, this is exactly what I was just talking about. Another brother said, did you do this based on me saying, no, this message was already ready, man. <laughs> you know, this message was for men because it's something we need. It's something that's very important. In fact, James 3 says, let not many of you seek to be teachers, right? Because <laughs> he says, they'll have a harsher judgment. Okay, And then he goes on to talk about the tongue. No one can tame it and how it's like a wild beast. It's full of deadly poison. All the things we've been talking about. It's a fire set on fire from hell. And you've got to be very careful with your tongue because every idle word will be judged. Amen? So it's interesting. Listen to Proverbs twelve eighteen. It's a weapon of mass destruction. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Let's promote health with our tongues. Let's promote health among our brothers and sisters, among the church, among the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Proverbs or Psalm chapter 64, verse 3. The psalmist prays about those who sharpen their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, bitter words, and so forth. Over and over again, we have this imagery of it being a weapon of destruction. And boy, is it a weapon, man. It is a weapon. 
And it's very, very important to understand how serious this is. In fact, how many people were killed in World War II? If you Google that, you'll find estimates from 50,000 up to like 75 or more, I'm sorry, 50 million to upwards of 75 million people or so. More conservative estimates have it around 50 million, but it could be far more. And it's interesting because Hitler had a tongue that was set on fire from hell. He was demon-possessed. I have all kinds of testimony and witnesses that were close to him, even a boyhood friend that talked about how there's a, a spirit using him. He became a different person after watching a Wagnerian play, and he never heard him speak the way, and he was carried away after he saw this. Wagner was anti-Semitic, and after he saw this play, he said he was carried away with words that were just so grandiose, but he started using all those words for evil. And Hitler talked about how he was going to bring forth the God-man, and he was terrified. He'd sleep with the, the, the light on at night in his, in his room. You know, he had the secret doctrine, Madame Blavatsky's book, you know, about how Satan is our redeemer. He was an evil man, but guess what? He wrote Mein Kampf. And it's interesting, Mein Kampf is, means my struggle. And that's one of the books that really promoted him to power. And it was his struggle. A lot of his struggle had to do with the Jews. And he was very anti-Semitic. He was actually from Austria, not from Germany. Went to Germany and became their leader. And, uh, but it's interesting when you look at Mein Kampf. I was interested how long that book, how many pages that book was. I didn't know it was two volumes. 615 pages long. 153,750 words. That's a huge book. But you know that book with oh, so many words, 615 pages or so, according to Google, 150,750 words. For every word, three, just every one word, one little word, thousands, tens of thousands of words, for every one word, 350 people about, if the number is about 50 million is about right, that were killed, about 350 people died. For every one word, were killed, were murdered. For every one word, 40 Jews were killed. About 6 million Jews in the Holocaust. Now that was according to a leading, at the Nuremberg trials, a leading Nazi was the one who said about 6 million Jews they had killed. Words, you know, are deadly poison. And you may say, good, my words haven't killed that many people. Well, if your words just destroy one person, right? That's serious. You need to repent. Because Jesus died for all your sins. That's the good news, amen? Everything you've said that you're like, oh, <laughs> I can't believe I'm so committed. He died for those sins you've committed to pay for them, right? So you're forgiven if you're trusting Jesus. But you have to make sure you're repentant, right? You're not continuing to live a life of rebellion against the Lord. Now, this is such a cool thing about Barnabas, man, because in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, listen to what we read. You could go there if you want. You don't have to, but it says Joseph. His name was Joseph, really who was also called Barnabas, it says. So he had a nickname. They called him Joseph, but they also called him Barnabas, who also was called Barnabas. It says, and I think this is interesting, which it says, and it goes on to parenthetically to speak, but it's there in the text, which also means son of encouragement. So Barnabas, he was called Barnabas. His name was Joseph, but they said they called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. So this guy was so encouraging to other believers and new believers to encourage them in the Lord and just love on them and encourage them to walk with the Lord that he got a nickname where they'd call him Barnabas, but sometimes they hey, they, they call him Joseph. Hey, Joseph. Sometimes they say, hey, Barnabas. You know? It's not like the other disciples weren't encouraging too. Obviously, they're encouraging. But he was so encouraging. He blessed so many people. He got that nickname. 
And it's interesting because I don't believe he was born that way. Because I know why he was the son of encouragement, which gives us all hope. Because you might say, well, that's not my personality. My personality is to just, you know, not encourage people, but I just kind of see my gift as just tearing people down, you know, and just making people feel bad. And No, uh, that's not a gift, by the way, okay? Encouragement, when, in Romans 12, you can see is a gift, you know? And it's interesting. Naturally speaking, I don't think Barnabas was in the nursery, like with our kids right now, and just like, oh, you want my rattle? Here. You want my binky and my baba? Here, guys. Praise the Lord. No, he's probably like any other baby. He's probably self-centered, right? That's our flesh, our damnic nature, right? And then he became born again, right? And he became strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And you know, the connection is kind of interesting because the word Barnabas, or the word, it means son of encouragement. The Greek word for, encourage, for encouragement used out throughout the New Testament over and over again uh, usually is paraklesis. Paraklesis. In fact, that's, that's a really cool Greek word. Say it with me, paraklesis. Paraklesis. It's beautiful. It's, got, it's a compound word, para, which means to come alongside someone. In fact, that's where we get the word parallel from, right? So a compound of two words, paraklesis, to come alongside, para, and kaleo. Klesis is from kaleo, which means to call. To call, to call someone, kaleo. Kaleo, call somebody. And guess what? Paraklesis is to call someone to walk alongside someone. And the word means to exhort, to urge, to encourage, to give joy, to help someone, to, to comfort someone. And that's what we're all called to do. We're called to do paraclesis. We're called to give encouragement. And where did he get this ability to do this? Well, the Bible says that God is the God of all comfort in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 1. It says for us to comfort others with the comfort we've received. We've been through trials. We've been comforted. Now we're able to help others. A brother that I fellowshiped with I'd only met once before up there, I got to spend a time with a lot of different brothers, you know, encouraging them and so forth. But one brother went through a very similar trial that I went through a long time ago, and I got to spend, I've talked to him before on the phone. Doesn't, he lives hours away from us, but he's at the retreat. Blessed man, a great time. And I was able to spend, uh, you know, a good hour and a half or something talking to him up there, just encouraging him because, and coming along his side to help him through his trial. And he had tears, and, but he, at the end of the treat, retreat from getting all this encouragement from these different men, some that knew what he's going through, some that didn't, because his heart's for Jesus. He's went through, you know, going through some serious attack. It's awesome to see how by the end of the retreat, you know, he's not out of a storm because you can't stop the enemy from attacking always, right? But he's encouraged in the storm, and we're called to encourage each other. But this is the interesting thing. How does Barnabas, how does Joseph become Barnabas? How does he become son of Periclesis? I would suggest to you it's because he was full of the Holy Spirit. Because it's very interesting. Do you know the word that Jesus used over and over again for the Holy Spirit? Parakletos. Parakletos. You even knew the word. Good job, brother. Parakletos. Beautiful word. We call the Holy Spirit's called the paraclete. So sometimes when you hear me preach, sometimes you might hear me refer to the Holy Spirit as a paraclete. Paracletos means to encourage, to be an encourager. It speaks of an encourager. In fact, it's translated helper or comforter when Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in John 14, 16, we read, And I will ask the Father, says Jesus, and he will give you another helper. Paracletos. It's a Greek word for helper there. 
or another comforter, parakletos. Depending on your translation, some of you will translate it helper, some will translate it comforter. But he'll give you another parakletos to be with you forever. But the helper, then he says again, but the helper, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, he says, from whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to the remembrance of what I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit teaches us. He encourages us. He convicts us. If we misspeak, he convicts us because the Bible says he's grieved. The Bible says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It talks about our words in that context of grieving the Holy Spirit as well in Ephesians 4, which we'll look at. So this is so important, you guys. It's so important that we do not walk in the flesh. If you wake up in the morning and you just say what you feel and just run your mouth about every situation about how your flesh feels, then you're not walking in the Spirit. You're not going to be a, a, under the... You're not going to be you know, a son of Periclesis, because you're not being control controlled by the paraclete, the paracletos, the Holy Spirit. So you start your day off, and when you wake up in the morning, you say, Lord, please use me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Strengthen me. Help me to guard my lips. Help me speak words of, of encouragement to the brethren. Words of love. Words of warning if they're needed. Whatever I need to help my brethren out and my sisters in Christ. And some of you, many of you wake up and you have family members. Lord, help me not to tear people down. And if they're in the flesh, which a lot of people are around us, right? Help me not to return evil for evil, but help me be under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit and speak words of encouragement. Amen? And let me be a force for you in this world and in, the, in my home and in the church. Amen? And when I go to work, Lord, I'm on my way. Lord, help me not get in any evil joking. Help me not use any bad words. Help me to reflect Christ. So people can see the difference. And it's very, very important that we get this, guys. And, and guess what? You need to just, on a practical level, be very cognizant and watch what's coming out of your mouth. Because you're going to be judged for it. Amen? Amen. Now, if you're a Christian, you're truly a Christian, and you're truly following Jesus, and you're not running amok with your mouth and just tearing people down and living a wicked lifestyle, well, guess what? But you fall short here and there, and you're like, God, have mercy on me. You'll be cleansed. You'll stand before God, and you'll be cleansed. But you'll lose rewards for every idle word, every evil thing, everything that's not, uh, that, that was done by the flesh. But you'll get rewards based on what you do to build people up in Christ and, and preach the gospel and advance God's kingdom. Amen? So it's important to understand this, you guys, that, that we get this. So Barnabas, man, he's a son of encouragement. Don't you want to be a Barnabas? You definitely don't want to be a diabolos. And it's interesting. How do, this is what blows me away. And I, just, I saw this connection. I was like, this is so amazing. Because I've taught on Barnabas before. But when I was studying Barnabas, I like to bring things. I don't like to go to my old notes, you know. I rarely ever go to my old notes. Once in a blue moon I will because I like things to be fresh. But it's interesting because I thought I want to study Barnabas anew. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Wow. Paracletos, paraclesis. Because of this verse, it says in Acts 11.24, after it talks about Barnabas encouraging people, it says, uh, it talks about him encouraging them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. So one of the ways he was encouraging them, the main way it says he's encouraging them, this is in four, uh, chapter 11, verse 23. I'll get to 24 in a second. He says, with a resolute heart. Barnabas had a resolute heart. You want to have a resolute heart. Guess what? Praise God we're having this time together. Because it's one thing to say, yeah, i got to be careful with my words. It's another thing to have a resolute heart and say, I'm going to make sure that my heart is resolute about being an encourager. This is going to be my a goal in my life is when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to be an encourager and not a destroyer. Amen? So he had a resolute heart. 
So, Father, give us resolute hearts in the name of Jesus to be, to be true to your word and to be encouragers of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So you want to have a resolute heart. And you know what it says? He had a resolute heart, he says, to, and he encouraged them. He encouraged them with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Catch that? What was his message there? He had a resolute heart to encourage other believers to remain true to Jesus, remain loyal to Jesus. Amen? Amen. And by the way, have you noticed that's the message of blessed hope? What am I always encouraging you to do? Remain true to Jesus, right? To continue in the faith. Amen? To, to be loyal to Jesus. That's how we encourage one another. Okay? Because if we're not encouraged in those ways, we can slip. We can fall away. Amen? So it's important. But this is what... It, now, this is, this is key for the argument I'm making. Verse 24 says, after it says... He, was, he, uh, he began to encourage them with, uh, with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Now verse 24. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He was full. There it is. Amen, brother. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Bible says don't be drunk with wine. It's a command. Don't be drunk with wine. By the way, drunkenness with wine, what does that lead to? Loose lips. Loose lips sink ships saying things that you wouldn't ordinarily say. Because, by the way, when you open yourself up, when you're sober, you open yourself up to the devil. When you're, don't, when you're not sober, you open yourself up to the devil. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So if you're sober, it's harder for him to get into your heart. But if you start drinking, all of a sudden, that's what happens. People say and do the craziest things. So many, over 50% of crimes committed in the United States are when people are drunk. Okay, we stay away from that. But he says, don't be drunk with wine, but for Ephesians 5.18, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a command. How do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? God wants to fill you. Jesus said, who you being evil, don't give good gifts to your children when they ask. And they ask for, you know, a piece of bread or a fish. You don't give them a stone or a snake instead. How much more, he said, will your father give you the Holy Spirit? He wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yes. And he's not partial. He wants to bless every one of us. But we simply must surrender to him. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what it says? Be full of the Holy Spirit, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? Giving thanks to the Lord. And Colossians says that, to be, have the Word of God dwelling in you richly, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. When God's Word fills you, this is how you get filled with the Spirit, guys. When you get into His Word, amen, you surrender to Him, amen. You say, God, use me. I belong to you. And then He fills you with the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? You don't speak words that come out of drunkenness or idle-mindedness, or you speak words, you, give, you want to praise God. You want to worship God. You want to be a blessing to people. You want to give thanks. But you can tell whether you're filled with the Holy Spirit or not. If you're giving thanks, and you're praising God, and you're encouraging your brothers and sisters, and you're seeking to speak well of them, praise the Lord. You're full of the Holy Spirit. However, if you're not giving thanks, but you're whining and complaining, you know, that is huge. Amen, brother. If you're whining and complaining and constantly upset with a bunch of people and your mouth's constantly running and running people down, you got to say, oh, then you're in the flesh. Then you're in the flesh. And a lot of times believers waver back and forth, but we want to be like Barnabas and be resolute in our hearts. Amen? Are you with me today? Yes. Good, because I've said 80% of what I said is not what I said last night. You know? <laughs> I need to look at my notes more, but it's on my heart. I've been, I prayed. I cried out to God. I got on my knees by my bed this morning. Lord, give them what you have for them from your word, please. Because this is the area we, he wants us to grow. Because it's so dangerous if we don't, and it's such a blessing if we do grow in these areas. You know? And everybody falls short. But just say, yeah, I need to get better. I need to grow in this area. And just admit it. You know? Because that's the first step, is recognizing our need to, to grow. 
So it's interesting because, and I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 at this point. Ephesians 4.30. And Ephesians 4.30 is, is so important. And you'll see in a second why I'm encouraging you in this. Uh, because Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Earlier in Ephesians it says, You've been sealed. Now he says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. I mean, you're sealed for the day of redemption. But he warns you, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. because, And that's a quotation from the Old Testament in Isaiah, where it says the Jews, when they were wandering in the wilderness, they began complaining and everything. Remember that? It says they grieved the Holy Spirit, and they became God's enemy, even though he saved them. He saved them from Egypt, but they became, he became their enemy. So he's giving them a warning here. And then he's going to warn them not to live in the flesh, and warn them that if they do, they won't inherit. Just as the Jews didn't inherit the promised land, many of them didn't, they won't, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. The parallel is really stunning when you see that. I remember the first time I saw that, because I was like, looking at Isaiah, like, wow, this is a quotation from Isaiah. Woo, and Isaiah, he's warning them how he became their enemy, even after he saved them. And then he goes on to say, you know, they're going to perish because of their wickedness. And then you go here, and you keep reading, it's like, woo. Man, if we grieve the Holy Spirit and we continue to do so and we harden our hearts, you'll see what he says. It's pretty, pretty heavy. But I want you to jump up to verse 27. And in verse 27, he says, give no opportunity to who? Don't give a foothold in verse 27. Just but got a few verses, 427. Don't give a foothold. Don't give space. Don't give an opening in the Greek. Don't give an opportunity to the devil. Because the devil is knocking on your heart. Well, wait a minute. I'm a Christian. How could this be? You kidding he blinds the minds of those that believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the image of God, shall shine on them, 2 Corinthians 4 4. He's blinding them. Amen. He already has them. But then when you sow seeds, man, to the non believer, what does he do? He, Jesus says he takes out, he tries to take that seed away so they don't, don't believe and are saved. But then there's the next three uh, people in the parable of the sower, and they're the believers, those who believe. Right? And then he tries to bring thorns and thistles to squeeze out the life of the, because they have life. There's new life now, and he tries to squeeze them to death temptations, and so forth. He's after us. That's why Paul says to put on the whole armor of God for Christians. For we, as Christians, don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And he says, therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Because we all face evil days, and we want to make sure we stand and don't fall. Amen? Amen. And then he says, therefore, you know, when you've done everything, stand, stand, therefore, having girded your loins with the belt of truth, amen, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and, and, and uh, the helmet of salvation and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God and the shield of faith, that you may quench all the fiery darts of the evil one, and the feet shot of the preparation of God's peace, all these different things. But then he says something in verse 18. In verse 18, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit, our mouths. All time in the Spirit, amen, because that's, he's the paracletus, right? So we can be sons of encouragement, like Barnabas. And then he says, praying for all the saints with this in view. Be alert with all perseverance. Because we have an enemy who wants to tear us down and wants to use us to tear others down. So he says, be alert with all perseverance, making intercession for all the saints. We should be praying for one another. You're like, well, what am I going to do with my tongue if I can't talk evil, if I can't talk bad about people, if I can't try to tear people down, if I can't try to make myself look better and make it all about me? What am I going to do? Well, how about try giving thanks to the Lord? Try praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ instead, instead of ripping them down. Can you honestly say you pray for people more than you talk about people? 
I hope you could say that. Because there's a problem if, you know, well, I'm kind of 50-50, Joe, so I'm balanced. No, you know. I'm not saying you don't have to deal with a brother or sister that's doing something wrong, but then you go to them in love privately. Amen? And, and then you might be in the wrong even. You're humble about it, right? Maybe you misunderstood something. We have to be so, so careful uh, with our words. We could totally misread a situation. We could totally judge somebody not understanding what they meant, what they said, what they looked like, their expression, whatever. We don't know the heart. The Bible says man looks on the outward appearance, God looks in the heart. We have had a gentleman come in here uh, and last Wednesday, and he came, he sat in the back, and I saw this gentleman in the back, and I couldn't make him out. It's like his shoulders were huge, huge, biggest shoulders I've ever seen. Yet his face and his body were small in comparison. And I, and I, was, and I saw him back there because he had a big shirt on, that draped over him. I was like, I just, I thought, oh, you know, and then he came up afterwards, and I met him. And five or six brothers were saying hi to him, and a brother brought him because he's living out of his car right now, a street guy, and somebody invited him. And, and I saw him, and, and then all of a sudden I realized he had NFL shoulder pads on, and he had a Jim Plunkett shirt on, you know, and he had the pads up and down his body, you know, and he had cleats on, and he had a football. And I said, oh, Plunkett, you know, I go, yeah, that guy, man, I like, like, I like Plunkett. So he's a Raider, he's got the Raider, black Raider shirt and everything, and and I'm not a Raider fan, but I love Jim Plunkett. And I said, that guy's, I go, that guy's part Indian, man. I love that quarterback. You know, I like uh, just interesting things that are not normal, that are cool. And I go, I love, I love that quarterback. And we're talking. And because I talked to him here for a while with some brothers. And then when I was leaving, I talked to him again, tried to encourage him. But at the same time, my main brain's like, what's the get up about? Does he always wear this? You know? And I was, I was wondering what was going on there. But I was trying to love him through how he appeared. It's, you know, like, Lord, you know, he's off the streets. And I talked to Brother Timothy, who's moving out here from Texas because he's been looking for a solid church for four years, he said. He finally found it, so he's going to move out here. People are it's more expensive out here. He goes, it's going to be worth it for me. He said, it's like a pearl of great price that I found. My wife and I and the kids are going out. And he'd been in the men's ministry. Now he's like, he was in Simi Valley now. He's like, and I love my Texas brothers and sisters, okay? And we got many of you in the live stream fellowship and beyond. We praise God, you guys. Texas is beautiful. But he's like, this is the most beautiful place I've ever been in Simi Valley. I go, yeah, I think so. You know, it's incredibly beautiful. It's not the most, I don't think it's the most beautiful place I've ever seen. But it's beautiful. Especially when it's surrounded by hills and it's green. We got six months of green. That's more than normal, amen? Got to admit that, right? <laughs> got all that rain. And he's like, it's the most beautiful place I've ever seen. I'm thinking, this dude has no idea when he gets to the sequoias. You know, <laughs> and which is in California too. It's so beautiful, but it's interesting. But by the way, because he's from Texas and it's kind of flat, right? But praise God, you guys in Belverde, you guys have hill country there, so it's very, very beautiful there. I, I'm a, I love hills and mountains, you know, and stuff like that. But uh, and this, and he brought him, and I'm like, just love on him. And the five or six brothers were. It was very encouraging, you know. Nobody said anything mean to him. You know, and we just loved on him. And then we're leaving. I'm trying to love him again. But I'm like praying, Lord, help him. I don't know what he's going through, you know, and so forth. Well, guess what? You talk about judging by appearance, yeah. man. Uh, I talked to Timothy later. He said, yeah, I met him and I witnessed to him. And he's open to Jesus. He says his mom told him about God. He's like maybe 50 years old or so. I don't know. Uh, 55, 60. I don't know. He goes, he said, I believe in God. And my mom told him about it, but I don't know much about it. And he was really open to the gospel. He says he wants to come back because he liked coming to church, you know. And, and then all of a sudden, he's walking with him, and he just falls over, you know, and, and hurt his hip, and his hip was already broken. 
And then he told James helped him up and stuff, and he, or, or Timothy helped him up, and he said, uh, he goes, that's why I wear this. He goes, I fall down a lot. I don't have good balance. And this football is a weighted football. It has a, it's heavy. Because it, the doctor gave it to me because he said, if you carry this around, I'll help you keep your balance. You know? And I was like, what in the world? You know? Talk about misjudging something. Because I have to admit, I thought something was going on that, you know, oh, come on, you know? And I was like, wow, Timothy, that's just amazing, right? <laughs> this guy's carrying a weighted football around. And uh, at least he thinks it's helping him keep his balance. And they do use weight sometimes for you to balance. And, and he's got pads on because he falls down a lot. I'm like, wow, what a trip, you know? Now, that didn't explain the cleats to me because I'm like, cleats ain't going to help you walk as well. But, you know, but I'm thinking, he's probably thinking, I want to have the full get up because I'm going to do it. I might as well do it, you know? More power to you if that's your, you know, praise God. And they probably help in the grass, you know, or when he's hiking. I don't know. Yeah, probably pretty good hiking boots, hiking shoes. But uh, we have to be careful not to just jump to conclusions on people because you get a little snippet of a person, you radically misjudge them. And the picture could be totally different, you know? And it's so wrong of us to say, or especially, you know what's really sad? When somebody does so much good and somebody tries to find one little fault here and there to try to define them. Don't do that either. So be careful we're not judging by appearance and we watch our mouths. And look how serious this is, guys. He's warning them not to grieve the Holy Spirit, not to give a foothold to the devil through our words and through our lives. And in verse 28 or 29, look what he says. Let no what? Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth right but only a word as is good for edification what's edification an edifice is a building edification means to build up so we're supposed to only speak we're not supposed to try to hurt people with our words guys don't do it it's wrong it's evil you'll be judged for it but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear so in other words you don't and by the way if you're saying, yeah, I need to be encouraging, use words of encouragement. Well, you've gotten there, but you're not all the way there. We need to go further than that. I told the men last night, I said, you know what? You need to learn to read the room. You need to learn to read the room. You don't just say, Lord, help me encourage you. That's a huge step. Praise God. That's good. But it says also give words of grace that are fitting for the, the need of the moment. So there's certain needs around us, Right? So it means we're not just thinking of ourselves. The Bible says don't just think of yourselves, but think of others. Don't just think of your own interests. Think of the interests of others. So what we need to do is say, okay, I'm in this room, and I see this person's hurting over there. Or this person's going through this or that. So Lord, help me encourage that brother or that sister that you died for, that you love so much. And we need to read the room when we're here on a Sunday morning. You know, reach out to people. You know, oh, you got this to do, that to do. Well, spend some time with people. Love them. You know, encourage them in Jesus. People need to be encouraged. People are hurt. And you will be just amazed how far a little word goes. I still remember a brother saying to me when he came into a fellowship, he was new and he's Jewish and he didn't know about Christianity and he was just like, what am I getting into? And I'm going to sit down here. I was invited to church and somebody, and just the guy that was putting him, the usher seating him just said, praise the Lord or, or God bless you, bro, or God bless you. He said, I just bawled through the service right after he said that, that he was, said God bless you to me. I'm like, we just get immune to these things we say. We don't realize the impact they have on people and we don't realize the bad impact bad things that have on people. Amen. So it's imperative. God wants each and every one of us to be encouraging in Jesus. Amen? To, and, but we need to be prayerful. Lord, help me be encouraging. So he says, not words that are destructive. No unwholesome words that come out of our mouths. 
which is important. Now, if you look at chapter 5, verse 3, and keep in mind, there's no chapter breaks here. He says to be forgiving. He goes on to say, forgiving one another, putting away the malice, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus, because it's out of the heart, right, that the mouth speaks. So it's not just your mouth. You've got to look at your heart. That's the root of it. So if you have bitterness towards someone, unforgiveness towards someone, you, you look at someone a certain way because Satan's kind of got in your heart in some way. You need to forgive them, right, in your heart because out of the heart of the mouth speaks and love them because God forgave you in Christ Jesus. And guess what? You and me deserve to be radically condemned. It's by the grace of God that we're saved. Amen. Amen. Every morning we wake up, it says his mercies are new every morning because guess what? Without his mercy every morning, we would be toast. But he gives us mercy every morning. But you can't go around receiving that mercy and say, oh, God's giving me mercy. But you're mean-spirited to other people and hateful to other people. The Bible says in James chapter 3, he says, you know, that blessing and cursing should not be coming out of the same mouth because these are like the springs. Springs don't give forth pure water and, and, and poisonous water too. That's not consistent with the way we ought to be. So now he goes on to give a warning in chapter 5 verse 3. But immorality or impure, any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Well, wait a minute. He just named them. That's not what he's talking about. It's not saying they can't be mentioned. Being named among you means they shouldn't be happening among you, these things, right? And there must be no filthiness, no filthiness, or silly talk. The Greek word there is foolish, foolish talk. Foolish talk is talk that that's, doesn't have God in mind. The fool says in heart, there's no God. And when you study the fool in Proverbs, he's a godless person. So we shouldn't have godless chatter because the Bible says godless chatter leads to more ungodliness. If you're having godless chatter, hanging out with people and just having godless chatter, and just talking God, with godless chatter, it's going to lead to more ungodliness. If you're in a text group, if you're in a home group, if you get together with sisters, if you get together with brothers, if you get together in a service like this, whenever you're getting together, if you're having godless chatter, it's going to lead more ungodliness. Because what happens is it has an effect on the soul, right? But it says no uh, foolish talk or coarse joking or coarse jesting, depending on your relation. It doesn't say no joking, but it says no coarse jesting, no coarse joking, no dirty talk, you know? And you know what? God's not against joking. I mean, I love to see my, my children, my grandchildren playing and laughing. The Bible says laughter is good for the bones. Playing's good, but it should be encouraging, but guess what? It's hard for people sometimes to make jokes that are positive because it takes more work or it takes more prayer or it takes more to, to be playful in a good way and healthy way that encourages people. It's difficult. It's far easier to take an edifice instead of being edifying. It's far easier to tear down a building than to build a building. Isn't that right? It's easy, man. You just get the wrecking ball, man. You could wreck a building that took months to put up. And that's the devil's work. He's a wrecker. So we need to be prayerful. But we can be prayerful in, in, in fun ways, you know, in, uh, in playful ways. And if you know me, if you hang out with me or hang out with a lot of us at Blessed Hope, we love to play and joke and stuff, but we're very serious about the Lord and following him. But we also play. I mean, at the men's retreat, uh, you know, uh, I'm seeing guys laugh and play, but it's, it was good, you know, healthy play. You know, just, uh, you know, quips, but, you know, but you don't want to do that 100, you know, that want to be your whole life. We don't ever get serious, you know, but you can play around and be encouraging in your play. You know, we have fun together. I remember a retreat we had where, uh, man, I caught a salamander. I love catching things. And one of the brothers came up to me. It was Alex. He goes, I heard you catch rattle. I caught a rattlesnake up there. I catch whatever. I just, all right, one time I caught a snake 
because I was doing a message, and the message started out warning about deception, and it was how Satan's a serpent. And I'm going to do the message in the men's retreat, and it's my turn to speak. And all of a sudden, I'm going, and I look down from the bridge when we're crossing. Now you sisters know what that's there, that big, that big pond, and then you go over that bridge. I look down there, and there is a snake down there eating a fish. I'm like, ooh, he's going to be easy to catch. He's got something in his mouth. And I went and I caught him. And I stuck him in my pants. But, you know, on, you know, but I put him in a plastic bag that I had. I go, oh, I got this plastic bag. I stuck him in there and stuck him, you know, down in a little bit. And, and then when I was preaching a serpent, I go, you got to watch out for the serpent. And then I whipped that snake out. And, and, it's, and I'm going like this. And John Heber's in the front, you know. And he's like, Joe, he thought it was a rubber snake. He goes, that's the oldest trick in the book. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I threw it out. And all guys are, guys, okay, gals, you may have done better than the guys. Because the guys were like, ah! Their buds are jumping up. One brother gets on a, on a chair and he's like, ah, ah. I'm like, some of these guys have never been in the woods, man. It's just a garden snake, man. Come on, you know. But it's no harm done. We're just playing, you know. Another time I caught a salamander. I think it was like a, it's like a bright green salamander. It's so cool. I'm like, I've never caught a salamander before. They're easy to catch because they're slow. But it was outside the water, and I'm coming from the basketball. We're going to go eat at the, at, uh, we're going to go, you know, spend some time at the, mess hall where everybody's at because it's cold everybody's chilly and i'm like i'm walking over there i'm like that's oh, a cool salamander i walk in there i see you got seven guys or so huddled together you know and i'm like i was gonna show them I'm like oh and i just thought oh, you know what i gave greg uh greg key a big hug you know and when i hug him and he had a big down jacket because he was the easiest target so i stuck it in his pocket you know and I, his down jacket <laughs> And Greg's a man's man. I mean, he's just a tough guy, right? So, you know, Greg's an awesome guy, you know. And, uh, and I gave him a hug. And then I went and got some coffee or probably hot chocolate or something and came back. And I'm huddled with the guys. And we're all talking. And they're playing and stuff and talking and having a good time. And I go, hey, Greg, you got my keys, bro? He's like, your keys? He goes, yeah, my keys. He's like, I don't have keys. Why don't I have your keys? I go, just check your pockets. He had nothing in his hands. He checks his pockets. He's like this. I'm like, no, no, don't. I'm like, how do I not get that lizard killed, you know? And he's like, I go, no, no, stick your hand. See if they're there. And he, he goes and sticks it in his pocket. He feels this thing. He doesn't know what it is. He's like, what? And it's not my keys. He knows that because it's squishy. And he pulls it out. And he's like, what is it? He couldn't see. So he sticks it out here. And he looks at it. And it starts to wiggle. And he's a big studly dude, man. He's like, he couldn't let go of it. He's like, ah! <laughs> and he dropped it. Okay. And we just all laughed. And Greg and I still laugh about it. No harm. No foul. You know, just love and friendliness. God made us. The Bible says laughter is good for the bones, you know. Man, you don't know what you're missing. You know, that's not coarse joking, you know. When you go up, we miss the men's retreat. You got to go up there, you know. But uh, beware. No, I'm just kidding. I know that's my, my concern. Is like, okay, watch your back, Joe. You know. So, uh, but we have to watch that line, that we don't go over that line, amen, and that we don't become coarse jokers where we're dirty, using dirty language and so forth. And they just, they have a, the NBA draft. Every year, they, you get to pick the best guys out of college. And there was a guy that came up, and they were going through the draft, and I was watching this like a news kind of thing, podcast kind of thing, and the guys are talking, and they're talking about the number, a guy that they think will go about number 10 or so. And he has a name. His name is Grady Dick. And he's a phenomenal shooter, a great player, and so forth. And the guys start talking about his name, and the guy starts joking with his name. And the guy that starts joking with his name starts using, a, drawing up a play, and, and Grady does this with his last name, right? And I'm going to say his last name, poor guy. And I'm like, this poor guy must have got made fun of a lot. And then he's, and he makes up a joke about a play with reference to the, 
his last name, and the guy next to him looks at him and says, and he's a pastor? Because the guy's a part-time pastor or a full-time pastor. And guys, the world knows what Christians are expected to do. And I don't know if the guy, other guy's a professing believer or not, but I'm like, ooh, wow, that guy's a pastor. And he's like, wow, you just said that? The world's watching what you say. But more importantly, the Lord's watching what we say. Amen? So we have to be very, very careful. But notice he says, and there must be no filthiness and foolish talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather what? Rather what? Giving of, giving of thanks. Amen, brother. Be full of thanksgiving. Now this is what's so scary about this. Look at verse 5. For this you know with certainty... It's not something you have to guess about. You know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has what? Any inheritance. Any inheritance or an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Wow. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that coarse jesting is on the same list as idolatry? Sexual sin of those who will not enter the kingdom of heaven? I say this to you because I love you. And you can be deceived to think that, well, I'm not an idolater. I'm not greedy. I'm not a drunkard. I'm not sleeping out on my husband or my, my wife. But you're full of, you're watching comic comedians, so-called, who are just saying a bunch of filthy jokes and laughing at it. Where's your heart at? Oh, now he's talking about the comedians I listen to. I say this because I love you. We ought not be partnerships with darkness. He goes on to talk about that, that we're children of light. We were darkness, and he says, don't be partakers with the children of darkness because they're the children of wrath. Instead of God's kingdom, they're going to suffer the wrath of God. And guess what? We like to laugh, but you have to be very careful. You don't turn on ungodly comedians who are blaspheming God, making all kinds of wicked jokes. And it's very enticing because we like to laugh. I'm saying this because I love you. I have to speak to you the truth in love as a pastor. We had a brother uh, give a testimony, Gerald, one of our worship leaders. Last night, it was a beautiful testimony. But he said he went to church after church after church after church, and he would never get convicted. He never knew. He talked to a pastor, about, and they never bring up repentance, even though he was not really born again yet. And he talked about the pastor at the last church he was at. Was a big part of the NAR, knew, uh, a lot of them claimed to be apostles. And he was getting all these false prophecies from people. And I said, that's what I've been exposing lately. I thought, wow, it's a trip. He went from church to church like that. He said, the pastor of the church I left before I came to Blessed Hope, he said, the pastor's huge church, huge church, he said. But the pastor, you know, and he's had relations with the worship, member of the worship team. Then he made her his secretary. And he has a picture of her kid, which is really his kid, looks just like him in his office. And he said... But guess what? He said he never heard warnings. He never heard. Then he said when he found us online, I think he saw they sold their souls or something like that, and he came to Blessed Hope. But he said he was sitting there playing video games one night. His testimony is so precious. And uh, I heard it personally when he told me personally, and we sat together with him for lunch. He's, he's just weeping, and he's like, I, just was, I woke up from playing video games. I'm like, what's wrong with my life? I need to truly follow Jesus and be sincere. He began to weep. And he said for the next week or two, he couldn't stop crying and fell in love with Jesus and was truly born again. His life changed. He found Blessed Hope Chapel, you know, and he's growing in the Lord. You know Gerald and his lovely wife, filled the Holy Spirit, loved Jesus, you know, but he wanted truth. 
And praise God, if you're here, it's usually because you see a love for truth here and a love for Jesus and a love for brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see the fruit of that in our fellowship. We see all these loving people who are encouraging one another instead of tearing each other down. It's very, very important that we get this right. Because I'll tell you what, guess what? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a vice list there. It's like Ephesians 5 right here, where Paul says, be not deceived. Don't be deceived about this. And Paul says here, let no one deceive you. He goes on to say, let no one deceive you in Ephesians 5 with vain words. That's why he starts off, you, he goes, we know with certainty those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of Christ. Let no one deceive you with vain words. In other words, a lot of people are taught, no, you can say those things, you can do those things. As a Christian, you're going to heaven, praise the Lord. Paul says, mm-mm, uh-uh. Well, he says the first thing, same thing in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be ye not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor effeminate, drunkards, thieves, covetous, all these different people on the list. But you know how else in the list in verse 10? Slanders. Slanders. Or, and, I, and I've looked at like 10, 15 different translations, and a lot of translations translate that word uh, uh, abusers of speech. Those who are abusive with their speech. Speech, speech abusers, they're on the lists with drunkards and homosexuals and adulterers who won't inherit God's kingdom. You see how serious this is? So serious. Be careful with your words. Paul says in, his, uh, in the ESV, the English Standard Version, says, nor should there be any obscenity foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. The Good News translation says, nor is it fitting for you to use language in 5.4 of Ephesians, nor is it fitting for you to use language which is, obs- which is obscene, profane, or vulgar. Rather, you should give thanks to God. Okay? This is very, very important stuff. Colossians 3.8 says this, Now is the time to cast off and throw away all these rotten garments of anger, hatred, cursing, and dirty language. That's Colossians 3.8. That's the Living Bible. Okay, the Good Word translation says, also get rid of your anger, hot tempers, hatred, cursing, obscene language, and all similar sins. This is so serious. This is so serious. And I have a confession to make to you. A few weeks ago, I said a word that I would never normally say. And Josiah, my son, who, you know, Holly, Heather, I said, I don't cuss. And I said, I don't know if Josiah has ever heard me say a bad word. Not that I've never said a bad word in my Christian walk. Okay, I've fallen short. But, and he's shaking his head, nope, I've never, you know, well, he's not heard. In my whole Christian walk, there's a few times I know I fell short. But I fell short about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago. And I was so angry at myself. And I was making bone broth, okay? And it was scolding hot. And foolishly, I got my bone broth, you know, and I stuck it. It was super hot. And you know how you go, just suck the top off a little bit because it's the very top thin layer. You get maybe a little to see how hot it is. I'm like, and I put it down on the couch, on the left side of the couch. And uh, the, in this big, you know, I, I like mix a little egg in it. It's so good for you. You know, I'm sticking it there. And I pick it up, and the leather couch is discolored under it. I don't know if you saw that yet, Lisa. I'm in trouble from this message, you know. You know? <laughs> It's, it was, we, they were given to us these couches. A lot of the stuff we have has been it's given to us through years, and she's been wanting a new one for a long time, so maybe that's your ticket, baby. But uh, <laughs> we hold off a little longer. We hold off a little longer. I always say that, you know. 
but just about everything. And then I pick it up. I'm like, oh, I got to hold it. So I take a little sip, and it was so hot. It burned me, and it burned me so my mouth, I yanked it away from me. And when I yanked it away from me, it was just out of boiling form, right? I brought it over, all over me. And man, I got, Lisa saw later, she's like, what in the world? It's all red, puffed up on the verge of bubbles. And I'm like, and you know what? And it just broke my heart. I said, D-A-M-N, you know, I don't talk, I don't use that word. I don't like to use C-R-A-P, you know. I know a lot of people don't look at that as a cuss word. I'm not sure that is. So I'm not drawing exact lines, but I just, ah, and I wish I would have, and I've hurt myself a lot of times. And when I hurt myself, I don't say a word. It's like, ah, you know, this, it's just like, ah, and it came out. Ah, I was so angry at myself. Ah, you know, I wasn't being mean to anybody who came out. I'm just being honest with you guys. And I was like so ticked off that I did that to myself, that I burned myself, but I was even more ticked off that I said that because I, I like having a good track record. And I was like, Joe, I'm sorry, Lord, so sorry. And I'm like, could have I stopped? I didn't think of it. It just happened. I was like, ah, but that word came out, you know? And uh, I don't know if I told you that, Lisa, or you heard that. Were you there when that happened? Okay. Did you hear that? You didn't hear that? Okay. I, well, I'm confessing it to everybody, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so that's what came out of my mouth, you know. At least that's what I heard. <laughs> and you guys, but but we but guess what? We have to be careful because now I know I'm fine with Jesus because that was not my heart. And I said, Lord, I still ask for forgiveness. I said, man, but it ticked me off that I said that. But we need to be very very careful about every word that comes out of our mouths. It's so important that we get this. Listen to Hosea, chapter four, verse one. The Lord has a charge to bring against you. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God. There is only cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery. Their cussing and cursing is put on the same list as lying, murder, stealing, and adultery, guys. It's not fitting to the saints. If you do it, stop it. I hope, you're, I hope you're, if you're convicted right now, you're like, man, I do. I've got to stop this. A number of guys came to me, and they said, man, I'm repenting. Praise God. Stop it. If you're justifying it and say, you know, I can, I can tell dirty jokes. I can talk filthy. Then you need to check your spiritual pulse, man. Are you really walking with God? And if you're among other brothers, you need to, you need to be a man and step up and say, you know what, guys? I'm not doing this anymore. Amen? Amen. Say, you know what? I'm not, we can't do this anymore. It's not right. Because you're not really loving the people you're with if you don't check them. If you just let them do that, you know what the scriptures say, are you really caring for those people? If you're a woman and there's gossip going on, you might say, hey, gals, you know, it says slanderers will not, you know, inherit God's kingdom, 1 Corinthians 6.10. By the way, I said, are you a Barnabas or are you a Diabolus? Barnabas is son of encouragement. You know what Diabolus is? It's the Greek word for devil. When you see the word devil, like the devil led Jesus to be tempted, Right? Spirit, Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, but it was to be tempted by the devil. The word is diabolos. You know what diabolos means? Satan is from satanos, which means opposer. He's opposed to God, adversary. But when you see the word devil in the New Testament, it's translated in the word diabolos, which means slanderer. In Revelation 12, when he's cast down, it says Satan, the devil, the, the, the serpent of old, the dragon, was cast down. Four, four words are used for him in one verse. But one of those words is devil, and it's the Greek word diabolos. And it says he's the accuser of the brethren. We want to make sure that we are not accusers of the brethren. Amen? Sisters, listen. I didn't use these verses with the men, 
because I'm talking to a lot of sisters and men here. 1 Timothy 3.11 talks about the sisters, and it says they must be dignified, not slanders. You know what the Greek word is there? Diabolos, not devils. Not devils. Okay? Sober, faithful in all things. Interesting, that's put with being sober, because being drunk opens your mouth up. Titus 2.3 speaks of the older women. It says they must be holy, not false accusers. The Greek word, diabolos. Not given to much wine, right? This is serious, serious stuff. Really, really serious stuff. Women, you don't want to be gossips. Men, you don't want to be gossips. Men can be gossips too. Talk about bad about other people. And it's interesting, a woman was brought before the church because she was a church gossip. And she thought every church needs a church gossip. It's like, no, you don't have like a church drunkard. You don't have like a church adulterer. You know, and sometimes people minimize certain sins. And she's brought for the church because she was tearing up the church, talking secretly about people and hurting people and trying to divide people, and people are starting to become disgruntled and trying to destroy the church. Used by Satan, Diabolos. And he said, You know what? You're not welcome in this fellowship anymore unless you repent. And she said, I repent. I repent. And she was genuinely sorry, in tears. And she said, What can I do to fix this? Because not much. She goes, what do you mean? She goes, goes, you you ruined the reputations of people around town. Words are powerful. She says, what can I do? She goes, get your pillow out. He goes, you have a pillow with feathers in it? She goes, yeah. Get that out and go to the corner of a main street and cut it take scissors and cut it open. And it was a windy day. And just go like this and shake all the feathers out. She goes, what would that do? She goes, that's like your gossip. You can never get all those feathers back in the wind. And that's what you do when you gossip. You hurt people. And that's why it's serious, because people can be damned, because they can become discouraged because of people's sin against them and stop following Christ. It's very, very serious. Amen? Amen. William Barclay uh, said of the word diabolos for the devil, the devil is a patron saint of all slanders, and of all slanders he is chief. There is a scene in which there's a sense in which the slander is the most cruel of all sins. If a man has his goods stolen, he can set out and build up his fortunes again. But if a good name is taken away, irreparable damage has been done. And it's not just our words we have to watch. We have to watch our tone. We have to watch our tone. Lisa and I were at a restaurant one time, and we took a guy named uh, Bob. Bob Hedge, not Bob Hedge a lot of you guys know. Another Bob Hedge. Uh, there, we weren't married yet. We took him to this place called Light and Fresh. It's now called Hikari. It's a totally different restaurant. You guys know Hikari's? We took him there, but we didn't go to the sushi bar. We just ate you know, the Japanese food, mostly from the kitchen, introducing him to Japanese food. And it was like late at night, and the, there's a Korean woman who we, we were friends with because we, we'd go there once a month or something, and, and she was super nice in her late 20s, and she's very expressive. And, she, and it's closing time. Everybody's pretty much gone, and we're just paying our bill and stuff and talking to her, and she's chatting with us because we knew her and uh, got to know her. And, and all of a sudden, the sushi chef behind the sushi bar starts yelling at her. And he's like, ah! And I'm like, Oh, man. And then she yelled back. I'm like, whoa, waitress yelling back at this chef, man. And then it happened again. And it got louder and louder. We couldn't even understand their words. But the tone was terrible. Watch your tone. You might have right words, but your tone could be wrong. Amen? And then all of a sudden, he, she yells at him again, or he yells at her again. She yells. I said to her, it happened like three times or something. I go, I go, hey, 
her kid was out there from the kitchen. He wandered in because most people were gone. And he was like three, four years old. And he was kind of noisy. And Lisa and I were fine with it. I said, hey, you know what? We're fine with the kid being out here. You let him know we're okay if that's the issue, if he's worried about us. He yells out her again. She yells back. And then all of a sudden, she has, she's busting tables. So she has this you know, tray of a bunch of half-gone sodas and drinks and stuff and waters. And she goes up to the sushi bar, and she chucks it over on him. And he gets soaked. He grabs the butcher, the sushi knife. And sushi chefs are really good with their knives. And he chases her around the sushi bar. And I'm like, and I'm like, Lisa, do something, you know. No, I didn't say that. Okay. I think self-depreciating humor can be good. Okay. So anyway, I, 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 I booked over there. And as she was taking a turn, because she was going around the sushi bar, I think they made it about once, and he was gaining on her. I grabbed her, pushed her on the, once against the wall, because I was right at, she was at the wall. I stopped her. And then he came at me. And I was just like, I just like, stop! And I'm like, but I'm having my hands up. I'm like, this may be it, you know? And then he stopped. And everything was cool. But that, just the tone of that, I don't know what the words were being said, but the tone of it was nasty. Watch your tone. And then, by the way, her husband, there was one guy there, a big white dude, okay? And all of a sudden, he comes over. My wife, and, wife, my wife and I both witnessed this. He comes over, and he's like, thanks for saving my wife, man. I'm like, and I said to him, I go, why am I saving your wife, you know? You know? And uh, anyway, uh, by the way, I think that gained a lot of points with my wife because she realized if he's going to lay his life down for a stranger, he'll do it for me, okay? Uh, anyway, I think there was some angst maybe in that sushi guy toward me because, you know, I was a young guy, man, my 20s, mid-20s, and, man, I could put the sushi down, and it was all you can eat. And I remember a couple times before that, he started, like, banging things, man, when I'm like, I guess I should have been in my limit. But I'm like, well, why don't you write almost all you can eat? It says all you can eat, you know? So I'm like, when I'm before him, I'm like, hopefully he doesn't remember me. (laughs) Get both of you, you know? Anyway, but we need to watch our words. Amen? And can we all please stand? I'm going to pass out the cup and the bread because I just ran out of my grace time here.